Sally. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. We're excited to have you here. And everyone, this is Sally Mueller. She is the CEO and co-founder of Womaness, and we're excited to hear your story. So thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks, Anne, for this opportunity. Thank you. So Sally, on this podcast, we like to go back into the beginning, hear about people's story, how they got to the position of where they are today, how you got into the beauty and personal care industry, um, the route that you took to get to become a co-founder, anything that happened in between, as well as advice. So let's start with how you got started. Where did your career journey begin? Where do you want to go back to that was like the the starting point of where you got to become the co-founder of Womaness? Yeah. Well, I started my career many decades ago at Target Corporation in the headquarters, and I was actually in apparel Um, I was a merchant uh, for about 10 years in all different departments of apparel, but I got to learn so much about trends and the consumer and running the business and loved it. Retail and brand building really got in my blood. And then after about 10 years, I actually pivoted to the marketing area at Target. Uh, My degree in college was in marketing, and I was always super passionate about marketing And so I transitioned into that area. And that was the time when Target was really, I would say, uh, identifying a new path, um, really taking some risks from a marketing standpoint and a brand standpoint. It was super exciting to be in that area. And so I think of all their like TV commercials and all the ads that were coming out, like the spreads in the magazine. And they were were like cool ads. Like you just wanted to drop what you were doing and rent to Target. Yeah. So I actually spent 15 years in marketing and I oversaw all apparel marketing. I worked a lot on brand level marketing. So the target bullseye um, led a lot of the designer initiative, which was, you know, everyone from Isaac Mizrahi to Missoni. We brought in about 75 designers while I was there. So um, learned a lot about cultivating those those relationships and making sure that we really respected the brand and brought out the best in, mm-hmm. you know, the the design and the marketing story. So it was it was a great experience of like the combination of product, uh, supply chain, marketing, consumer insights all wrapped mm-hmm. in into my job. So it was That's it was cool. really incredible. But I, still I remember decided. when Missoni quote broke the internet when everyone was rushing yeah. to get Missoni. Like, I know. Broke I the internet. Out in twelve minutes. Oh. Um, so I actually left Target when I was forty-five. I just felt like you know I had this kind of maybe it was menopause. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> but it was like this this reckoning that I was going through that I really felt like it was time to do something on my own. I was always an entrepreneur inside a big company, and I had such a huge network, so much experience that I thought I could take this and really build my own business. So I wanted to move to the brand side and then help brands really succeed at retail. So kind of flip um, the perspective um, from which I was coming from. And um, so that's what I did. And the next, I guess the next 12 years actually had my own business twice. And then I went in-house at two different companies. But I would say the most success that I had was when I teamed up with Who What Wear and helped bring Who What Wear into a line of product, a line of fashion and accessories and footwear 
sold it into Target um, and launched very successful line of product in 2016. And then we ended up expanding it internationally. And then we also worked on creating Verst. So Verst is a clean skincare brand, which is really successful today. Um, so that was my, I would say my deepest foray into beauty. While I was at Target, I had a lot of exposure to beauty. You know, I was, I was always, uh, you know, being in apparel, you're, I was always thinking about style as a whole category with beauty, mm -hmm. but it wasn't until Verst that I really got into, you know, the nuts and bolts of the beauty industry. Do you so, find that there's a huge difference? I know there's a, what you were saying in terms of the style and bringing the whole look together from apparel and beauty, but do you find that there was a big difference between apparel and beauty and specifically skincare or yeah, are there a there lot is of parallels a big difference. that are, are there different products? Well, there's parallels in terms of when you're, you know, incubating an idea, the discipline around the brand, and the, you know, the positioning and all of that. I mean, even even in any category, you should follow that same kind of process and discipline going into creating a brand. Um, but I would say the biggest difference is fashion, you know, fashion changes, right? You mm -hmm. always think about the product in terms of, you know, like a triangle, you have newness always at the top and you have your core kind of, you know, items at the bottom. Beauty's different. It's very item driven less is more tight assortment you have less change and that's that's fun and exciting like every item takes so much work and in apparel given you know the change that you can you know, you're constantly bringing in newness you can kind of have one bad season and course correct to have a better season so it changes so often mm -hmm. i miss that part of apparel, but beauty, I think is so exciting because of, you know, it's a growth category, it's more recession proof. Mm -hmm. So it brings so many other benefits. And I would say what led me to Womanist was really while I was working on, you know, all of these different categories and traveling across the US, I was also in my late forties going through menopause and you know, experiencing a lot of the same symptoms that a lot of women experience, um, you know, sleep disruption, low libido, skin changed all over my body because I used to have oily skin. And then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, where did this dry skin uh, come from? Like, yeah. Like, just, why can't it just be in the middle? Neutral. I know. Skin texture changes. All of these things change. And I didn't have like severe hot flashes, thank God, but I had like terrible sleep disruption, you know, um, you know, night sweats and that kind of thing. So bottom line is I said, I'm finally going to take control here and go to the, go to a doctor that's an expert in menopause, which there's very few doctors that really know a lot about menopause, but I ended up going to the Mayo clinic and she really educated me about menopause. But at the end of the appointment, she said, check out these products on Amazon for menopause. So I did. And that's when I gasped and I said, oh my gosh, these products are not made with clean formulations. They haven't been reinvented in decades. Mm -hmm. It's time to disrupt this industry. And that was, that was the start of it. So you're taking like a, a like a semi-torturous time of the sleep disruption, right, you right. Know, the night sweats. You're saying, how can I solve my issue, but also solve so many right. other women's issues that are inevitable. Absolutely. It's coming with time. Right. 
and what a way to like bring a clean perspective and a modernized perspective because you're right. right. I'm sure Absolutely. there's been zero attention placed on this, especially within the product innovation category. Right. And the marketing innovation too, because this mm-hmm. woman has been really largely ignored. Mm-hmm. You know, any midlife woman would agree to that, that just from a marketing standpoint, very few brands are targeting her. And if they are, they're doing it in a very outdated way. It's not modern, as you said, it's not, you know, aspirational, it's not celebratory, it's kind of utilitarian. Mm-hmm. And, and you, um, that's why really, it's been so ignored for so many years that it is more of this utilitarian, non-celebratory time. Or in, in some yes, people's mind, maybe I think that's part of it. Um, absolutely. And I think that is definitely part of it is that um, menopause was thought of this dreadful time. And, you know, I think of menopause and midlife kind of mm-hmm. intertwined. Um, yeah. So it, you know, it is an, a fantastic time of your life because you have so much wisdom and you have a little bit more freedom, even though you are super busy, you know, managing, you know, probably your parents as well as your children and your careers. So it is, it's, it's still a challenging time, but I think a lot of women feel like it's a really exciting time because you finally do what you've always wanted to do. So, um, so a lot of that insight and personal experience went into creating the brand that Michelle and I created and we launched in 2021. Amazing. So how'd you meet Michelle? How did you have, what was that first conversation beyond you, you meet with the doctor at Mayo Clinic and you're saying, how can I solve the product innovation category within menopause, taking my own experiences and my peers' experiences? How did you meet Michelle? And what was that first conversation of, this is what we're going to do. This is phase one. We can make this happen. Yeah. So I met her about 15 years ago when she was pitching Target she was working at the time at Real Simple, the magazine, and she was really responsible for bringing Real Simple into product, much like I did with Who, What, Where. And she was pitching Target and someone had recommended that we meet so I could give her some advice because I was current, you know, I was still at Target at that point. So um, so we hit it off. We stayed in touch and became friends and always compared kind of our careers and the industry and just what was happening. So um, when, when you know, I started to think about this, we actually met in New York and I was telling her about it. And she was like, Sally, there's something going on with women in their forties and fifties. I'm noticing it in my friend group, my sister's friends, they're all leaving their, you know, corporate jobs to start businesses or variety of things. And they're just not you know, they're, they're seeking inspiration. And so it's really time to celebrate this woman. And so between the lack of product and the lack of inspiration and community for this woman, and then we knew that education was another pillar that we really wanted to get behind. Like so many women don't understand their bodies and what they're going through during this whole stage. So we took those three things and put it really together um, to create womanist. So um, it was fun when we first had that conversation because I think, you know, she's about eight years younger than I am, but she was really into it. Mm-hmm. And um, and we just kept building on each other's ideas. And then we obviously went into, okay, we're going to do this like serious business mode and started thinking about, okay, what is the brand really going to be, you know, what is it going to stand for? Let's do focus groups. So um, once we got over like the first part of 
yes, we're going to do it. Then we went into, like I said, real roll up your sleeves. Yeah. Let's power really mode. make the, take this power mode. Yeah. And, you know, we both had a lot of experience mm-hmm. building brands and thinking about all aspects, you know, the brand strategy, the marketing voice. Yeah. You, between the two of you, you really have a 360 of understanding the retailer, yes. understanding the consumer, and then building a product and bring it to market, whether it's direct to consumer or with the retailer. So you guys really are the, the power duo. Yes. Yes. So that is, um, that's how we started. That's how we, so in terms of, so education too, especially when you're, you're redefining a product category, you're bringing so much innovation and into a space. Do you find educating the consumer is really difficult or do you feel specifically for the menopause industry? women are so ready to absorb and soak up the knowledge rather than maybe like a new, I'm trying to think of a different product that's come out to market recently where people really have to educate on. I'm I'm trying to think even maybe a beauty blender back in the day. Now everyone has a beauty blender in their makeup bag, but at the time we're thinking, why am I taking a wet sponge and putting it to my face? Isn't that how I normally clean? Um, But that education almost happened overnight because people saw I was working on special effects makeup. So with Womaness, through your marketing and folding in that education, did you find it difficult to educate the market or are people truly absorbing it and they're like so ready to take on that knowledge? I I think a combination of both. So I would say yes to both questions. So women do want to be educated. They're super hungry for information. Um, I think they get a lot of information out there from the medical community, from websites, from their friends. They seek out a lot of advice from their their own friend group and they don't know who to trust. I've heard from so many customers that are just at their wits end. Like, I don't know who to trust. I get conflicting information. My doctor wants to put me on HRT, but I don't want to go on HRT. Isn't there some natural supplements out there that are going to help me? And the answer is yes. So no one is really knitting the whole thing together for the consumer. And, um, you know, that's where we have really tried to make a difference. And we do cover HRT, even though we're, you know, obviously not offering HRT, but we do cover the pros and cons of HRT as an example. So, um, yes, women do want to be educated. It's still difficult to educate and reach the woman. Um, I think it's very different marketing to this woman than to a millennial or Gen Z. Mm-hmm. You know, she is um, she is on social media, but she's highly distracted and she uses social media for different reasons than maybe Gen Z or millennials do. You know, it's very maybe I'm just so talking how do you, Facebook. Mm-hmm. How do you, you reach know? this consumer if they aren't like the typical Gen Z who's probably glued to their phone? Seven hours yeah, the they're day. not glued to their phone. So you have to be kind of omnipresent. You have to be everywhere. And so we have obviously reached her through Facebook and Instagram, TikTok. Um, press is a huge vehicle for us. And I just, that's a big like umbrella, but local TV shows, we've been on so many news shows, you know, just in, in a variety of markets. We've been on the Tamron Hall show two different times. We've been on Access Hollywood. We're constantly pitching to be covered because we have so much to say and we don't even have to promote our products. If we're just talking about menopause and education and they know womanists exists, 
we see traffic to our site. I mean, it's, it's like women are product market fit. Yeah. Women are so hungry for information and solutions. So we've only been in business for like, has it been two and a half years for 2021, 2023. So congrats to you for having such a quick launch to trajectory and and getting the press. That's amazing. That's a huge. Yeah. And it's such an important topic that has been really brushed under the rug for so long. So I think we've really worked with, you know, some of our peers in the industry, the telehealth industry to really open up the conversation and create this whole movement around women's health and menopause and, you know, making it not a taboo topic. It's just, it's just another transition that we all go through. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it was a topic that was taboo for the reasons of this quote, anti-celebratory time when right. we need to respect women and the transitions that their bodies make from, you know, age of zero and onwards. And so right. now you're bringing these solutions, but they are backed by medical, but they're natural and they're good for you. And they're not going to, you know, cause you additional issues. And we all know like right. the side effect story, right. Of, this might solve one issue, but it causes another issue. So right. props to you for really taking a stab at something that's so unique and, and different and like helping people and especially with a topic that not everyone wants to talk about too. And right. I look at all these beauty brands and they're all, you know, everyone was talking about contouring and then everyone's going into the blush phase. And then of course the eyebrows, you know, seven years ago, and that was easy to innovate because these brands were essentially just making their own version of these trending products and everyone wanted to talk about it. And you put hashtag model brows or hashtag fluffy brows, and then it helps your entire brand sales lift, but you are redefining a category and you are the trend leader. You are like paving the way. Do you think other brands are going to start following you, especially within the personal care or larger companies that have these like internal entrepreneurial innovation suites? Do you think the competition is on your tails and, and how are you going to, you know, curb the, or defend yourself against the upcoming competition? Or do you think it's, it's not there yet? No, I think there is competition. You know, there's been a few different brands that have launched since we launched. Um, but I think it's good. I think it validates the category. I think we are unique in that we're very accessibly priced. You know, everything that we sell for the most part is under $45. And our products, as you said, have been, you know, doctor tested. We've used clinically proven ingredients. So we really stand behind our products. So it's a great value. And we know our products work. So I think we just really try to stay focused because you could get very distracted with, oh, that brand's launching over here and that one's doing sexual wellness over there. And, mm-hmm. you know, but as a team, you just really, you have to be aware, but you don't want to become distracted with all the noise in the industry. But I think a lot of um, brands will probably try to get into the menopause space, but um you know, whether they're millennial brands that try to age up or a variety of different angles. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing we need to stay focused on is delivering, you know, what we set out to deliver, right? Is really good and reliable information, really efficacious product that's affordable, that we know works. I mean, it's like fundamentals. And then the community around her. So it's hard to replicate all of that. Mm-hmm. And it takes years to build a brand that people trust. Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. So, 
or just I was listening focus. to someone recently and uh, they had a workout brand. They started something maybe like a, I think it was a leggings. And they said overnight, someone replicated their leggings, sold it for 30% of what they were selling it for on their e-commerce site. And from that day forward, they said, whenever I start a brand going forward, I'm going to build a moat around my brand and yeah. make that brand just so special down to right. the right. gold foil that's going on the packaging, it, that voice that's coming through, whether it's on social or it's the directions of how to use on the back of the box. It's, you know, talking with the retailer who's selling it, how to sell this at point of sale. It is just that entire ethos because yes, someone might see your product and, um, you know, cut it in half in terms of a price or even, you know, drop it by 60%, 70%. But if you have a moat around your brand and you make it so special and non, you, you cannot replicate it because you've built it to such a, a powerful voice that, mm -hmm. you know, no one can kind of take down your castle. So that's yeah, what woman that's, sounds like they're doing is they have that, not only the brand, but they also have the community. So right, the right. double moat. Thank you, Anne. That's it's it's exactly what we're trying to do, and you know, it, it you just have to stay focused on it every single day, and look at the long game. So, and you know, we've really tried to invest in customer service. We have a woman who's in her fifties who's really great with customers. They, you know, they're. It's so funny with the whole AI movement. Everyone thinks she's a bot. Like ah. They're so shocked. They're so shocked. She's a real woman. And then when they know who she is, they're like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing. Right. I love yeah, it. I get so excited. Yes. I know they do get so excited that there's a real woman behind this. And, um, and so it's and like a lot of their needs and, and taking it exactly. In. And the, you know, just being empathetic to what they're going through. So a lot of those I don't even want to say smaller things, but those investments really pay off in the long run. They do. So what do you think of AI and its take on the beauty industry and personal care? Do you think it's, is like beauty going to be one of the last industries to be affected? Is it going to be one of the first, um, like beyond the customer service bot? What's your, yeah, I mean, take? I think it's exciting. I think obviously there's some scary things about it that we, you know, not just for the beauty industry, but just the whole world that we have to be thinking about. Um, but I think what's exciting, like I went into Sephora the other day and they did that test of what foundation color mm -hmm. shade that I should be using. And that was really cool. I mean, that, you know, I'm sure they've been using that for a couple of years, but, um, you know, I'm not saying that's AI in particular, but it's just technology solutions that make the consumer be able to choose the right product. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think that's where it can be helpful. And I think as a brand leader, you know, we're, we're using it, we're dabbling in it a little bit, but we think that, you know, it's so important that we still create original content. Now, can we use AI to like inspire a headline or maybe, you know, test some different ideas out, so maybe different, you know, you know, copywriting angles, but overall, I think we really want to stay, you know, true to what we are and really make sure because the consumer is going to see through it that if it isn't coming from an authentic source, it's just not, it's not going to resonate with her. This consumer, our, our demographic is so savvy and she is really skeptical until she's proven wrong. So 
I'm really, we're as a team, we're really want to try AI, but in the right way. Um, mm-hmm. But we know That's that right. our yeah, our customer it's will like really not just hop on the bandwagon and fold AI no, in, no. but also wait for the right time and the opportunity exactly. to see what AI can do. So while other people might find AI helpful in their customer service bot, you know that your your brand voice is that empathetic, like reaching out, helping people educate them. Um, so maybe down the line, it's finding, you know, AI using to offer like more personalized approach of like the customization of their symptoms Absolutely. and what products work for them. and and so on. And like you said, the copywriting, that is, that's a great way to like dabble and see how it works. Yeah. Still trying yeah. Staying true to your authentic voice. Right. So as a co-founder, what would you say has been the toughest thing and the most rewarding thing? And what advice would you give to other people that are looking to start a company, whether it is a software as a service company or a physical product? Um, how would you help them succeed and get to your shoes? Yeah. Well, I think the, I'll start with the toughest. I mean, the toughest is um, realizing that when you're in a startup, the highs are really high and the lows can be really low. And someone said that to me, like the resiliency factor is so important. So you really have to go into this knowing yourself. Like if you're a person that's going to get really, shaken every single day by what's going on, you know, maybe you're better off in an environment where you're part of a team, maybe a company that already exists, you know, by, by, you you know, by the time you get to probably your 30, you know, mid thirties to forties, you know, you should know yourself enough to know, like, are you going to thrive in this kind of environment? So Mm -hmm. I think that's been really interesting is just how many different obstacles Michelle and I have had thrown our way. And, you know, so many startups go through this. But I mean, when you think about it, we launched somewhat during the pandemic, not in the height of the pandemic. We had to fundraise during the pandemic. So that was crazy. We went out to fundraise in March of 2020. And that was when the whole world shut down. So we had to do everything on Zoom. That was probably one of the roughest months for fundraising. Yeah. Everyone was freaking out. So that was like the first major obstacle. And then there's been so many obstacles, you know, given we're omni-channel, like understanding the nuances at every, you know, on every channel and learning what works for one channel may not work for another channel. So that's, that's been really exhilarating, but challenging. Yeah, And then I think all of us have gone through, you know, the post pandemic and all the supply chain issues. We had major supply chain issues that affected a lot of our sales last year. So we've been able to, to go, you know, get out of that. Okay. But it's like, wow, you know, that really, that was a huge curveball. And now it's supply chain. It's, it's like a challenge that not a lot of people think about when starting a business, but it's like down to your primary packaging, your secondary packaging, where is it produced? Where is it packaged? The shipments, how distribution across the U S are you purely in the U S right now? Or are you um, selling outside of the U S as well? We ship outside the U S. So, but we don't have any retail distribution outside the U S yet. But um, anyway, I think there's been, you know, you have to go into this knowing there's going to be great moments and really tough moments and you have to be able to pick yourself up pretty quickly. 
and navigate through those. So that's been interesting um, and definitely a, a growth opportunity. <laughs> um, it's true, I think like you most- said, it's like the stability is you're not going to have a stability. You're not going to the stability of a corporate role you may not have as a co-founder and the ups and downs cannot affect you and you have to be resilient because yeah, there's always yeah. something that's coming up next and similar to puzzles, you're problem solving every single day and that's right, not an right. issue that is part of the job. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you can't take it personally. Uh, you know, it's not like it's people are trying thing. to, you know, take you down, but it's, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's um, but I think the, yeah, the most rewarding has been just helping women and hearing the reaction from the customer, like, where have you been? Why weren't you around 10 years ago when I went through menopause? You know, love your brand. Isn't that so rewarding to hear? It's so fun to see the reaction from women about the brand and, you know, where they discovered us and, um, and, you know, the difference that we're making. So that's Mm -hmm. been really, really fun. Um, And all the young people on our team that really have been really into the menopause, you know, that's because when going into this, I thought, oh, I'm only going to be able to hire older women that can relate to it. But what's really been exciting is all of the younger generation wants to be a part of it because it's such a mission-based brand. Mm -hmm. So innovative, it's not easy. So it's a good challenge, you know, and the payoff is there in the long run. So it's, um, I think that's, those are the two most rewarding pieces is just the customer reaction and the end growing Mm -hmm. a team of really hungry women that are helping us build this. That's incredible. And then I was I'm a female founder right. too and paving the way. Yeah. That's that is something to be so proud of. And especially right, right. how again, Nick, your trajectory has been so fast. I'm sure it was not an overnight success and there was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in between. But yeah, it really shows you have that product be, market fit. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, you didn't and it's it's still, you know, it's hard because you've got now economic headwinds. And even though the beauty industry is more immune to it, you're still impacted, right? And especially, mm-hmm. I think our demographic gets very distracted by any sort of like bad news in the press. You yes. know, she just kind of goes into her hobble. So how do you how do you counteract that? It's a great, I mean, we can go back to advice. Yeah, later, I mean, I but think... that's amazing topic is all over the news. Everyone's talking about discounts. This company has never discounted before. There is some really negative, bleak advice. You know, I always say the weather report is not good when you turn on the news. But if you look at the beauty industry numbers, they're up, you know, since last year and the year before because of the resiliency and that attainable price point of the beauty industry and that someone might go and buy their lip gloss and maybe not their $500 pair of shoes because 25 versus 500 is a big swing in price. So how do you get your customers to say, like, you don't want to tell them how to spend their money, but you also want to tell them... Like, and, or even from your, your team of like how to stay confident. Like, yeah. I mean, I think you still, right. I think, I mean, we're well positioned because we are more affordable, but, and we're also needs and wants, you know, some of our skincare you could argue is a need, but it's really also something that she might see as kind of a little bit more of a, you know, indulgent self-care, mm-hmm. you know, uh, vitamin C serum for $24.99 is like a little, you know, affordable luxury. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, I think we're well positioned, but I think we, you have to keep it also a little light. We use humor a lot. 
nostalgia if is you know yes it's a serious topic but you can't make it all so serious because she does want a little escapism she wants some humor and um so you you have to kind of know when to push the different kind of parts of the person the brand personality to bring her in so That's yeah great. but it's um, staying strong yeah, stay strong and really stay true to your brand, kind of weather the storm. And I think, you know, we'll all come out stronger the other side if you stay true to your brand through through the turbulent uh, months of economic yes. headwinds. <laughs> but I would I would say, you know, back to asking, you asked me for, you know, what advice would you give other founders? And I would say not only be resilient, but lead on your network. I think both Michelle and I have really amazing networks, very, actually a lot of our network doesn't overlap with each other um, because she's in New York, I'm in Minneapolis. You know, I have so many people that I know from my target days. It really does help to have a large network that, you know, takes years and years and years to build. But if you need something, most people do want to help. And, you know, it's important to reciprocate that help when other people do need your help. Mm -hmm. But um, I always give that advice because a lot of people try to struggle through things on their own. And it's so important to talk it through with other people. Mm -hmm. Do you find that like women coming together, like we always joke on this podcast that, you know, men go to the golf course to give each other advice and they'll say, oh, you should meet my friend. He'd be the best CFO at your company. You should introduce him or talk investments over here after a beer at the golf course but a lot of women find that we don't have that in our our group of peers that we almost hold our cards closer to our chest yes there's a yeah. lot of theories behind it not everyone feels this way but i would say about 90 percent of the people on the podcast come to us and say like how can we replicate this brotherhood that men have and the, the golf course effect as we call it how can we help women lean into each other and get advice, talk out problems, say it mm -hmm. could even be what packaging um, or what manufacturer did you use? What, who do you like? Who do you don't like? How are you using AI? Are there specific tools? Is there a consultant that I can talk to that you've worked with that can help educate me on what's next? Or um, even talking about investments and saying, hey, I need to make a better pitch deck. Can you look at it for 20 minutes and give me you know, super real advice? Do you find... Right that women are learning to lean into each other more or are we all still holding our cards close to our chest? And I think it's a combination. I mean, I think there's more forums set up for women to share with each other. I'm, I'm part of a few of those groups, you know, like the what Alliance is great um, as an example. So I think I really encourage, you know, women to make those investments in joining some of those, those professional groups. Mm -hmm. um, or just friend groups, yeah. you know, I think that's really helpful, but I, I think women still probably try to hold close to their vest to try to figure it out first, but they should, like I said, my advice is really lean on your network and, you know, for sure, try to do some of your upfront hypothesis or strategizing, but then bounce your ideas off of someone else that, you know, maybe has gone through it before, or as an expert in that part of the industry. So I think it really, really helps give reassurance or course correction. Mm -hmm. 
Weather the storm, like you said. Yeah, weather the storm. <laughs> well, Sally, thank you so much for coming on the Dilly Dally podcast, for sharing your advice, your career journey about womaness. Uh, where can everyone find you? Where can people find womaness? Um, yeah, well, womaness is obviously womaness.com. It's a great way to stay in touch with us, sign up for our e newsletter. Um, but, you know, Instagram is at mywomaness. So don't forget the my in front. Um, and Facebook, follow us on Facebook, TikTok. We love LinkedIn. So for me personally, follow me on LinkedIn because I think that's a key way that I really communicate my entrepreneurial story, a lot about the menopause industry and, you know, funding and changes in women's health, as well as what's going on at Womaness. So happy to have anyone, if they want to reach out on LinkedIn, send me a direct message. Perfect. Well, thank you, Sally. Your advice has Thanks, been amazing Dan. and congratulations on launching Womaness and that amazing trajectory in you know a little over two years for making it such a powerhouse of a brand, building an incredible moat, and you know really bringing that empathetic persona to the marketing world and helping women going through menopause and getting access to great, great products that can help them and really just changing the stigma around it. So congrats. Thank you. Work. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.